I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Welcome to the Gospel According to with Ryan and Mike, a conversation designed to explore what makes the gospel good news in various books and topics of the Bible. While Revelation is the most heavenly of biblical books, it's also ultimately down to earth as it addresses real circumstances of God's people. Join Ryan and Mike as they consider how Revelation not only reveals mysteries, but also encourages the saints. All right, Ryan, we're going to continue our thinking through Revelation and and helping us get the the bearings we need to read it well, Um, the prerequisites to, to read Revelation well and wisely and responsibly. So far, we've talked about the message of Revelation, the reign of God, the, the certainty of God's reign. We've talked about the, the divine drama that unfolds in Revelation, the prologue being the ascension of Christ, the, the, then the, the four movements of, or the three movements of war, judgment, and kingdom. We've talked about the, the, the genre, the writing style of Revelation, that it's parable, that it's apocalypse or apocalyptic. And then the last couple episodes, we talked about the primary um, biblical Old Testament context that really helps us be able to read Revelation and interpret it as, as accurately as possible, to see it in harmony with the, the story of scriptures, uh, of the story of the scriptures in the, the Old Testament and the gospel, and particularly in the book of Daniel. All of this is really big picture. But there's one more thing that we'll say about the nature of Revelation that really helps us land land it, right? To, to hit the ground and, and really see the connection points to our own lives and experiences. And that's the idea that Revelation is also not just parable, not just apocalypse, but Revelation is also letter. Why don't you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, the way that I think about this is it's important to situate Revelation both in the large view and story of Scripture. I would even say that apocalyptic cosmological view, understanding, you know, there is this large, grandiose narrative and and cosmological view that Revelation is situated into. But at the same time, there is a very local, real human sense Mm -hmm. of the book of Revelation We need to read this book not as separated from our experience, but this is perhaps the most human of Mm, books that is really going to hit on the human situation and the very depths of human suffering. Right. So let's note, first of all, who wrote this book to whom. This, of course, comes in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 9, John says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, And the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. A key phrase that I would love to come back to another time. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. 
Again, that was Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Mm -hmm. Here in these verses, you see both the large cosmological apocalyptic view of Revelation. Mm -hmm. You have him look up to heaven. He hears this voice. He sees the Son of Man. He sees the fire. He sees the lampstands. He has this great heavenly vision. Let's just review this real quick, Mike. Why is it important that John records these heavenly visions in Revelation? Yeah, to help us see things from a heavenly perspective, to help us see right. things as, as they are, as, as God sees them, and, and to see God's work, and that fuels, that's a fire for our life. Exactly, a fire for our life. I love the way you say that. But then if you look at verse 11, this book is going to be sent to the seven churches. Mm-hmm. We don't know a great detail about some of these churches as we do some of the other churches in the New Testament, like Antioch of Syria or something. But I think verse 9 is really, really important to note. John describes himself as, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. Yeah. Now, this is one of the many examples where reading Revelation in harmony mm-hmm. with the story of Daniel is really important. Yeah. Mike, tell me, why does John describe himself as a partner in the tribulation and the kingdom? Because of his apocalyptic cosmos view. See what I did there? Yes. Okay. Because yes, of that apocalyptic cosmos view that he, he sees the whole story of scripture and how it comes together in Jesus, he understands where he's living now is that war that Daniel described in Daniel 7 or that tribulation that was described in Daniel chapter 12, right? That's where he finds himself in the on the map of divine history. And and that's where the, the, the saints of these seven churches find themselves and who he's a brother, he's a, he's a partner, he's a fellow participant in that current tribulation or war. And he's going to speak to them in that moment, in that, in that. Exactly. In the same place we're in today. Right. And this is, this is what I wanted to say, right? You know, Daniel is anticipating the time when God establishes a kingdom, but then on the other side of that kingdom, there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be trial. There's going to be war. God will respond in judgment before the kingdom is finally delivered. That's right. So the, the kingdom, it, it's, it's not this view, and I think this is the view that some have, that the kingdom comes and then peace and roses will just mm-hmm. flourish across God's yeah. creation. That's not what Daniel anticipates. Mm-hmm. Daniel anticipates the king will come, yeah. but then war is going to happen because the enemy is not happy about it. That's right, it. yeah. John then sees himself in the midst of that story. Uh, the way I've said this at other times is he sees himself as a player in the script of Scripture. Mm-hmm. He sees that he is unfolding and playing a part of this grand apocalyptic drama right. that Daniel has promised the kingdom will come, but war will then come That's against right. the saints. Mm-hmm. John recognizes he's a part of this. Yes. He's a part of this. And I think likewise, we as followers of the Lamb will understand we're a part of this. Yes. As the war... As the, as the wars of heaven continue to unfold and as the serpent continues to bring assaults and wrath against God's people, we are likewise a part of that story yeah. to where when suffering and persecution and martyrdom and, and, and trials and tribulations and sins and temptations and every wicked thing comes against God's people, we are a part of that kingdom that is being assaulted by the serpent. Yes. And that is why John is encouraging his readers to understand Yes, this is about heavenly realities. Yes, this is about heavenly visions. But it's not that this is separate from us, but it's to demonstrate that heaven and the heavenly realm has immense implications on the life of the church. That's that's exactly right. You you know, I think about so many times where there's been my own experiences 
or talking with and counseling others who are in the midst of, of suffering, right? Intense suffering. We always search for that why, right? We, yes. you know, and we yes. don't, we don't always have the answer for it, but, but one of the things that the gospel shows us and particularly the gospel is it's expanded and unpacked in light in, in, in harmony with Daniel and, and what revelation is bringing forward, characterizing this present point in history in between the first and second coming of Christ is it's a, it's a time in, in the world that is characterized by tribulation, by suffering, by war. And that takes on many different forms, but, but also we live in the midst of this present evil age. Sin is still around. Death is still around. Sickness and sorrow and tears and all those things are still around. And that's just where we are in divine history. And, and so yeah. just and, you know, understand. This is where I think it's important to understand. Yeah. No, you first, you first. Oh, finish, finish. Finish. So, so knowing that as gospel, right? Like, you know, like we, you say that expression, like, you know, as gospel, like knowing that firmly that this is exactly what God said would happen and how God described, th- there's just, there's some peace and there's at least at a basic level, there's peace and acceptance that can come from just establishing this isn't random. This isn't accidental. This isn't unknown. This is exactly how God said things would unfold. And now Revelation is going to help us understand the why of that a little bit more and the what of that a little bit more, but at least establishing that fact. We live in a war right now. Can yep. can just anchor us in the midst of our distress. Cue our and, experiences and what of 2020. I was going to follow that up with is saying, you know, the gospel is good news, but it's good news in the midst yes. of a lot of bad news. Absolutely. The gospel is not rose-colored glasses. Follow God and he'll bless you with money. Yeah. Follow God and all your troubles will go away. Follow God and you'll never have pain again. That's a false gospel. Yeah, absolutely. The true gospel is this world is going to be full of pain. Yeah. God's saints are going to be full of suffering. God's people are going to be persecuted. Yeah. God's people are going to face hardships. That's truth. Yes. But the gospel that comes in that is there's good news in the midst of suffering. That's right. There's good news in the midst of trial. Yeah. There's good news in the midst of temptation. Yeah. That's the gospel truth that the book of Revelation is having. Absolutely. And actually, Mike, I'm the same here. Whenever I work with and, 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 and just, you know, really try to counsel people and Christians who are going through suffering, I now go to Revelation as much as anywhere. Mm-hmm. Revelation and Romans 8 are the two places I mm-hmm. camp out just to demonstrate the realities of suffering. Yeah in the life of the church. Absolutely. That's where you really see that lived experience of the sufferings of the church even more fully than the book of Acts. You yeah. see that played out Absolutely. in the book of Revelation. You know, and what's, well, Let's case study this with one example, but you go ahead and then we'll go to well, chapter two. I, I was going to say, so, so again, thinking about how this all works together, w- one of the amazing things about the way God has unfolded these things is that if you think of that, that picture of expectation of the age to come and the kingdom to come, right? peace and joy, flourishing, love, all those kinds of things. Think about how as Jesus entering into this present evil age to establish his victory and then lead us to that point in time, think about and and gives us his spirit. Think about how some of those blessings of the kingdom are even ours now in the midst of suffering. How often does Paul talk about suffering and joy in the same breath? Or joy is a fruit of the spirit. Peace is a fruit of the spirit. And so even though we still experience sorrow and tears by God's grace, by the power of his spirit in the death of Jesus. We still have those tastes of the kingdom that is not yet even, mm. even now, oh, yes. even now as we walk with him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm going to take this tangent because I think yeah. we need to, 
But the fruit of the Spirit, quoted in Galatians 5, those are actually from Isaiah 32. In Isaiah 32, Isaiah is promising the Spirit to be poured out on a land that has been forsaken. Mm -hmm. And then he says a harvest of righteousness will come and peace will come within the field and a fruit fulfilled will come. Paul is drawing upon that language in Galatians 5 from Isaiah 32 to demonstrate now is the time when God's Spirit has been poured out and the land that was once barren and the land that was once forsaken is now filled with God's Spirit. Mm -hmm. And because it's filled with God's Spirit, that's why it can be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of the fruit of the Spirit, one fruit, not many, all of the fruit of the Spirit can can, can come about because God has come. The resurrection has happened. Yeah. The crucifixion of the old age has occurred. The spirit has been poured out. And even amidst times of suffering, even amidst times of trouble, those are the times Absolutely. that the fruit of the spirit most fully grows. Absolutely. And, and to, to tie back into something that, that we've tried to emphasize throughout, who is the primary force in all of that? It's God who's at work. It's God. It's God working God. in Christ, working through his spirit. Yes. And, and we're called and invited to share in that, but it's not this this burden of what must I do, but it's what has God done and, and, and in what, and God, what then has it, he empowered me to be? That's right. Yes. That's exactly right. Yes, absolutely. Now let's demonstrate this in revelation too. Okay. Um, re- read, if you will, the, the letter to the church at Ephesus. We'll just do this as a case study. Okay. The first seven verses of chapter two. Yeah. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So just note here two things. Note, first of all, the apocalyptic vision that is given to the church, to the, to the saints at Ephesus. Mm-hmm. But also then note here just the real local context of this. Mm-hmm. What apocalyptic language do we read here in this letter? the same symbolic imagery from the the vision back in chapter one of the son of man and how he's described in this Daniel seven language. Um, and, uh, even, even talking about the, the, the hope that's described at the end of the the section, the paradise of God, you know, drawing on the biblical language of, of Genesis two. Um, so yeah. Yeah. You know, that last phrase there to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a study this year with, with some of the brethren here about heaven, and there was lots of speculation about paradise. That word paradise is only used three times in the New Testament. Um, on the cross, mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 12, and then here in Revelation 2. And here it's shown the paradise of God is this is God's presence. Mm. It's where God is. Mm. It's, it's, it's this heavenly scene of life in this Eden, mm-hmm. this garden where God is. And, and here's, I think, where that apocalyptic vision comes in just with such force is you have Christians that are being persecuted. You have Christians that are falling. You have Christians that are leaving their first love. And yet he's reminding them 
there are realities above yeah. that you are a part of. That's right. You are a part of that Eden. Yeah. God is going to bless you with that tree of life. Mm-hmm. Note the full cosmic scale of who God is and what he's done for you. Yeah. But also, let's notice the local situation here. You notice what he says in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are patiently enduring and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. You just hear, this is this is the letter from one who loves these people, one who cares about these people, and he knows what they're going through, and he knows their circumstance, and he's writing to them out of their suffering and out of their trials and out of their tribulation to give them strength and to give them a reminder and to give them this apocalyptic reminder that God is at work. He is strengthening you and respond to him in faith, respond to him in obedience. And that is that full power Mm -hmm. that you see in this letter to the church at Ephesus. Let me, let me say something again, drawing on, on sort of like counseling times and, you know, times of walking with, with disciples who are really struggling through, through some, some issues. And, and, you know, there's this sense, whether it's just this, this sin that has enslaved you, um, and, and held you down. And, and it just seems like you can't get out of it, right? You keep falling back into the same rut, the same pit, the same struggle. Um, and, 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 and you just can't see beyond it. Revelation comes along and, and again, jars us into seeing this bigger picture, this world at which God is at work in that's so yes. much bigger than my own sin, my own suffering. And, and even the suffering that, 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 you know, the churches in Asia are going to experience is much bigger than my own individual thing. But it doesn't matter because like my, my thing feels big. It's, it's that perspective that Revelation has given us to see God, to see what God's doing, to see things from God's perspective. And then all of a sudden, we have the power to, to then live as he calls us to live and share in exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. And that is where you see the apocalyptic vision of Revelation just come with such power in the local situation and in the lives of the church. Yeah. Yes, Revelation is calling us to, to, to view life from above. Revelation is calling us to think in parables. Revelation is calling us to hear the story of Daniel. But it's written to our suffering. Yeah. And, and, and this is where, Mike, just, I think, you know, let's be clear here. I, I truly think Revelation has application to every citizen of the kingdom. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Every citizen of the kingdom is going to endure suffering. Yeah. Every citizen of the kingdom is in going to endure hardships. Every citizen of the kingdom may even endure persecution. Mm-hmm. Seduc- and yet this seduction. is where Revelation comes Se- in. Exactly. Yeah. Sedu- yeah, seduction, deception, all of those evil things. But this is where Revelation comes and speaks to the life of the church in a very real sense and reminds us, God is king. Yes. You're in his kingdom. Look above. He will win. Yeah. It's, it's so sad to me when, when I hear Christians who are so either overwhelmed by Revelation, you know, it seems so hard, or have just had such bad experiences of like dry, academic, decoding kind of classes or sermons or whatever. Right. Yeah. And And... And, and I get it. Like, yes, that's why we're spending nine episodes kind of giving, arming listeners with the ability to, to go and read it well and read it wisely. I get it. It, it is difficult to just to jump in. But there is such a, a power here for our lives, such a, 
such the, the truth that's unpacked, the, 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 again, fuel for our fire in the Lord. Uh, and so it is sad to me when, when I hear Christians say like they can't read it or they don't like it or whatever, because it's just here is this gift of God that, that I want every brother and sister to uh, experience and be nourished by so that they can live in faith and hope and love and, and, and follow the Lamb. Amen. And Mike, I think actually with that, I think the best way for us to end this episode, let's end with a prayer together. Yeah, let's, let's pray together. Our God, you reign above all. You are creator and you are redeemer of that which was lost. God, you did not leave your creation in despair. The old age of sin has passed away through the cross and you continue to crucify it through the resurrection of Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for your power that has been revealed in these last days. Thank you for bringing to us a kingdom and thank you for your reign that continues to come on this earth. May we follow the lamb amidst suffering. May we always look to Jesus amidst trials and may sin may, may, sin may not be our master, but may you be our Lord in, the, in our lives that we may be a part of your true kingdom and that we, Father, may follow you and one day rule with you in that new heaven above. In Jesus we pray. Thanks for listening to the Gospel According to podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, please send us a voice message. We would really love to hear from you. Next time, Ryan and Mike will discuss the Lamb, the Ancient of Days, the Alpha and Omega, the Son of Man, and many other titles, symbols, and images that are used to describe Jesus in Revelation. Don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, and for all time, your God reigns.